1 Samuel 12, 23. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Well, morning. Who thought the first Sunday here would be smokepocalypse? Um, I found myself thinking the last couple of days, you know, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I guess scripturally this is what the air quality like is like if you don't walk with Jesus. <laughs> so if you don't like the air quality outside, you might want to walk with him because I hear it's a lot nicer in heaven. <laughs> so um, I make light, but you know, this is a, a crazy time. There's a lot of stuff going on between covid um, between some of the racial unrest in the country. Now we've got the fires that are here and the smoke. So I don't want to go any further without taking a little bit of time just to pray. And um, We prayed on Thursday night for, um, for God to change the weather. It already seems like weather patterns are shifting. Um, so I'm going to pray. If you just want to join me, you can put your hand up in there, put your hand out. You can pray out loud alongside me if you want. But I'm just going to start by asking God to, to rain and get these fires out of the way and, and, and this air clear. So let's pray. God, um, even as we sang that song, you split the sea so that we could walk right through it. We see it in Scripture. Um, God, right before the passage we're looking at today, um, Samuel calls for, for rain and thunder, and, and you bring it. And so, God, we stand here, no more yours, um, knowing that somehow you impart to us an authority that we can't grasp um, to call your power to bear in this world. And so we're looking at friends and family and people in the city, all down the West Coast, all over the states right now, where the, the fires are burning, property's been lost, people are evacuated, people can't go outside, they can't breathe, things are being shut down. And so, God, we need need you to move. And so what we're saying is, God, would you clear the smoke? Would you bring the rain? Would you put out the fires? Would you open heaven like you've done so many times in Scripture? And would you pour out the rain? Um, God, would you be comforting those who have lost something? Lord, would you be stirring generosity in the community um, to provide for those who are in need? Um, and would you give us wisdom as a church in how we step into that? So God, we ask you to move, we petition you to move, and we trust that you will in Jesus' name. Amen. So I actually, I was really encouraged when I listened to Samuel's message from a couple of weeks ago, and he shared um, kind of a verse that's been really important to him through his life. So what I wanted to do for my first Sunday was do a similar thing and share with you what is something of a life verse for me. Um, you can call it a life verse. I like to think of it more as, as like a mission verse or a calling statement that God has put in my life. And so uh, probably in my early 20s, I was meeting with a guy who discipled me just by reading through Scripture. And I can't remember where in the process of meeting with him that this became something really important to me, but I'm sure you've had these moments. I'm reading through the Bible, I get to Samuel, I'm reading through this portion of scripture, and it's that way, you're reading the Bible, and it's like you hit a verse, and it's almost like the words just go bold on the page, and they kind of enlarge a little bit. And as you read them with that little voice in your head that's reading inside your mind, all of a sudden the words are louder and carry that bit more weight than what you're used to. And you know that God is speaking, God is saying pay attention. So this was one of these verses for me that I sat in, I stopped, and I just felt God saying, this is the calling that I'm placing on your life. Um, and so what I want to do, there's two things really that I want to do today. Part of it, again, like when I spoke 
look at the candidacy weekend, part of it is to help you see my heart as it comes to, to me as a pastor and where I think God is leading us. But then I think that what Samuel has to say to the nation of Israel at this point, I think the things that he wants to say are really applicable to us as a church as we walk into a new season. Um, so I'm hoping this will be foundational as we, again, we build from the ground up what it is that God wants us to do. So here's the deal. I'm going to break one of my own rules because one of my own rules is always to deal with a passage really firmly in its context. So I'm going to allude to the context, um, but the context isn't as important right now as what God spoke to me and how this applies to my calling and then what we're going to do as a church. So I will talk a little bit about context, um, but we're not going to root it there. And actually part of that is because I'll let you read the rest of the context, start in verse 19 and read to verse 25 and see all the fire and brimstone that's in here that I don't want to dump on you on my first Sunday. So, so I'll let God speak to you whatever you want him to, whatever he wants to do as you read it on your own. Um, but just brief way of context. So we're at the point in, in, in the biblical narrative um, where Samuel is the last of the judges who are leading the nation forward. Um, Israel has just come to Samuel and said, we want a king to lead us forward to be just like all the other nations. So we want someone that's going to go ahead of us, who's going to fight battles for us. We want to be just like everyone else. And Samuel has this moment where he's talking with God, what should I do? And God says, listen to them. Um, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Um, and, and Samuel goes on. We get the Saul narrative where Saul is appointed king. Um, And so we're at this point where Saul is is now made king and Samuel is kind of given his last address to the nation of Israel as their leader as they walk into this new era. So that's that's quick context. A couple of things to keep in mind here and how this applies to us. So first of all, you've got Samuel. Scripture is really clear that he's old age and he's been leading and he's now finished. And Israel has asked for this young person to come in and lead. So you've got a transition from an old aged leadership to this new young leadership. And with this transition comes a whole lot of hope. Hope for what this king is going to do as he leads the nation forward. That he's going to fight battles, that he's going to take ground, that the nation is going to be prosperous and succeed. And they're carrying all these hopes. But what Samuel does in this part of the narrative is he's saying it's not about the leader. It's not about the leader. It's about what we do as a community as we submit to the covenant of God and walk forward together. Um, so this is, is Samuel's instruction at this point in the story. Um, and, and I want to look at this and say, what does this mean for us today? So if you look at the passage, there are basically four statements that Samuel makes that are up here. We've got it broken down into four. Um, so Samuel gives these four different statements, um, addresses to the nation of Israel. The first two are applicable to him as the leader. So these are specific to Samuel and what his role is moving forward. The second two are his address to Israel and their obligation as followers. So you've got two two pieces that are to the leadership, two pieces that are to the followership. And so I want to address these in reverse order um, because we're all followers. And so what comes at the bottom is applicable to all of us. Then we're going to look at the top two pieces, which are his address to leaders. And before we go there, I want to say this. There's a responsibility that I take in my role as a leader, but we're sitting here together hoping that God is going to do something and move and grow this church. 
you're all leaders already because you've been running this church without a pastor for a long time. Um, You've been in this season where you've all been stepping up into leadership. But as we walk into what God has for us, it's the people in this room that become the leaders of what God is going to do. So at the end of the day, this is applicable to all of us. It's not just to me, but we have an obligation as followers. And then there's a command that he gives us as leaders. So let's look at these um, in reverse order. We'll tackle them one at a time. So the first one, is consider what great things he has done for you. Um, Consider the great things he's done for you. I was very struck last week as Steve was sharing that he said, I wish we'd had more time as a community to reflect on what God had done and to celebrate it together. So even right as we get his first command to, to consider and to reflect, like that's, that's what, what Steve was saying is the season that we need to be in as a church. What has God done? Um, what is he going to do? But we celebrate the great things he has done. Um, I want to draw attention to this little word great in here. Consider the great things that God has done for you. So remember, Samuel's talking in the context of the covenant of God and what people are supposed to be doing. If you look in your concordance at the first time the word great appears in Scripture, it's in the the promise to Abraham that I will make you a great nation and that I will make your name great. So when he's saying, consider the great things I've done to you, God's done for you. All of Israel is aware of this promise that was given to Abraham that they would be made great. So the great things are all rooted in the promises and the covenant that God has made. And and right before this part in Samuel's message, he's rehearsing what God has done for the nation of Israel. So we're in this season where we're going to have to sit and reflect all the way through from Genesis through till now. What is the great things that God has done? And then for this community in your history, what are the great things God's done from the, the day this community was formed? What are the great things he's done up till now? What are the great things he's doing right now as we enter this new season? Now, this is important because as, as, as humans, we are storied people. Okay, we are storied people. That means our whole life and our whole being functions around story. So you meet someone, and what do you do? You share your story. You want to get to know someone, you ask them, share your story. You get together with friends and family that you've got a long relationship. What do you do? You reminisce about the fun stories that you share in common. You go fishing. What do you do? You elaborate the story of how big the fish was that you caught. It's all about story. Um, So we gather together and we have to say, what is the story of what God has done in your life? What's the story of what God has done in this community's life? Uh, And what's the bigger picture of the story of what he's done, what he's doing? What are the great things that he has done for you? We have to sit and reflect on those. So we're storied people. You know, it's why as, as society, we love movies. We binge watch Netflix We have libraries full of books and we sit and read story after story. It's why kids sit playing video games because they're caught in the story. Um, So the question is, what is the story that you're rehearsing? Samuel's saying, consider the great works that God has done. Rehearse the story that God has done for you. Rehearse the great things. It's why we just celebrated communion. What's communion? It's rehearsing the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as the people of God, we're supposed to be people who are rehearsing the stories of what God has done for us. But here's the problem. That's not the primary stories that we tend to fixate on. 
We tend to master in celebrating other stories. You know, what's slander? Slander is when you share a false story about someone else. So we hear something out there or we make it up and we begin to share the story. What is gossip? Gossip is when you take a story about someone else that's not yours to share and you share it with someone else. It's about sharing a story. We live in a, such a charged season right now where media is portraying all sorts of stories, some true, some false. And what tends to happen between Facebook, between hearsay, we hear a story, we decide whether it's true or not, and we start sharing it without ever checking to see if we're speaking truth. So what Scripture says is we're supposed to be people who partner with Jesus in speaking his story. If we find ourselves celebrating these other stories— the, the arrogance story where you celebrate yourself in an inflated way. The gossip story where you're sharing someone else's story that you shouldn't be. Slander where you're making up these false stories. When we're sitting in that place and those are the primary stories that our lives are being built around, who are we partnering with? Because according to Scripture, that's not the way of Jesus. And if it's not the way of Jesus, then we're partnered with the father of lies in spreading his stories. As a community, we don't want to be a community that's built around false narratives. We don't want to be a community that's built around our made-up stories. We want to be a community that celebrates together the great things that God has done in our life and the life of this church, the story of the gospel. And we want to be known as a community that is rehearsing that story to one another and to the people around about us. So the first thing we have to do that Samuel would be saying if he was standing here today is take the time to consider the great work that God has done and be people who are rehearsing that story. And the beautiful thing in this season is we get to, in some sense, we get to determine now the story that's going to be carried forward. We get to listen to God and say, what is the story you want to write through this church into this community? And then we get to be people who rehearse and communicate that story to each other and to the community around about us. So that's number one. Uh, number two, Samuel said before, but he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. So here's how it goes. Consider, reflect, rehearse the great things God has done in your life. Because out of that place, you will worship the Lord, you will fear him, and you will be willing to serve him with a whole heart. That's why I'm doing it in reverse order, because Samuel's building one on the other. He's saying, be sure to fear, but, wh but where from? Because you're reflecting on the great things that God has done. So as you remember what God has done in your life, that is the thing that motivates us to give ourselves entirely to him. So be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. The, the interesting word in here for me is the word serve. Um, it's the word that actually means, I mean, it literally means work. It's the word that as you go back through the Bible, God says he puts Adam and even the garden to work the ground. It's the word that is used when he gives the Sabbath command and he says, for six days you shall work and on the seventh day you're going to rest. So this isn't just a Bible word that's about what it looks like to be active in the church. This is a word about our everyday living. The way that God has commissioned you to work in the world, we have to serve him faithfully in that arena. And of course, it means what we do as a community. But this is the bigger picture of everything that God has given you to do in this world. And he says you have to do it faithfully, and you have to do it with all of your heart. 
And again, Samuel, you did a great job a couple of weeks ago when you preached, and you, you pulled out the fullness of what this word heart really means. We have this mushy, red love heart, Valentine's Day, fuzzy feeling definition that we put on heart and on love. But this is the whole of your being, body, mind, soul, your thinking, your feeling, your attitudes, your values, your actions, it's all of it. So the command to us as a church, fear the Lord. What's fear the Lord? It's not sit back, oh, we, you're so scary. But it's obedience, obedience within the terms of God's covenant love. So we have to be wrapped in this covenant love. We have to be committed to walking in obedience to him. And then out of that place, we have to serve him wholeheartedly and with all of your heart, everything that you've got. And why are we able to do that? Why are we able to give him everything? Because of the great things that he's done for us. You look at the great things he's done in your life, you rehearse those stories, and you go, the least I can give him is all of my heart. And the thing that I love about verses like this, where he talks about wholeheartedness, is it doesn't matter how old you are, and it doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus, he still doesn't have all of your heart. There's still more that you can give. And so part of this journey is us looking inward at our heart and saying, God, reveal the parts of my heart that are not yet yours, because I want to give that to you in entirety. And it's part of the role that I have. It's part of the role that you have with one another, is to be getting into the intricacies of each other's heart to show people, hey, this is a part of your heart that I don't think is fully surrendered to him yet. What's the process that we walk in together of surrendering all of our heart to him? So we're all on that journey together. Just because you're more mature doesn't make you better than someone that's less mature. We're all on this journey of figuring out what more of our heart that we can give them. Because you know how it goes. If the world around us can see us giving all of our heart to Christ, more than our possessions, more than our political affiliations, more than our denominational beliefs, if people can see us giving all of our heart, it is so attractive to them. Because remember, this is in the context of covenant. What was the covenant? That if you obeyed God, he would pour out certain blessings over the nation of Israel. Now, we don't live in the conditional covenant of do this and get the blessing. Don't do this, get the curses. That's not the way it is today. But we still live under the promise that if you give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord, if you serve him the way scripture commands, he gives you life in abundance. Now, that doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean a trouble-free life. But it means a richness to your life that's attractive to the world round about. And so in serving God with all of your heart, as we continue to learn to do that together as a community, God is going to show something attractive to the community round about that's going to make them say, I want in the middle of smoke apocalypse to have the hope that you have. I want in the middle of of uh, COVID to have the kind of hope and generosity that you have. I want to have the kind of care for others that you have. As they listen to all of the divisive rhetoric that's in the media right now in a season as we walk up to the elections, you want them to be saying, I want to have the kind of gentleness and love and grace that you have in a season like this. I want to be an agent of unity like you are instead of an agent of division. And we get to say, well, this is why I'm that kind of person because of what he's done for me. So be sure to fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart. Remember what great work he's done for you. And so that's what's applicable to all of us. Let's jump now and look at 
what Samuel saw as, as his role. Now remember, this is also his role as he's leaving his leadership. Um, so he's been kicked to the side and he still sees that this is the role he has. So it doesn't matter if you have a formal role of leadership or if you're leading from the sidelines, this is what it looks like for us um, to be walking with him. So Samuel says, I will teach you the way that is good and right. Nice and simple. What's our job? It's to teach one another and the world round about us what the way is that's good and right. And again, you, I'm going to do this all the time. I, I'm a geek for words. I just love words. Um, and in this one, you've got these words, good and right. So, so if you're a Jew and you've got the Old Testament memorized or you're steeped, especially in the first five books of the Bible, as soon as you start hearing these words, all of these scriptures start popping into mind. So, so when, when they hear the way that is good, where, where, where do we hear the word good? It's right at the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth and he says, let there be light. And he says, and he saw it and it was good. And he created everything. He created man and woman and he saw it and he saw that it was good. So this idea of goodness is, is tied to the, the idea of shalom, things being the way God intends them to be. So I'm going to teach you the way that God intends things to be. Um, the way that's right, the, the word right or righteousness, um, all, through, all through Scripture, but especially Old Testament, is tied to God's morality, God's will, his way, um, and it's tied firmly to the covenant. So again, he's, he's talking in covenant language. So I'm going to teach you the way that is good and right. So we're going to learn together what it looks like to have shalom in our church what it looks like to have shalom in Hillsborough, what it looks like to have shalom in the world, what it looks like to line ourselves up with the righteous ways of God. But again, I, I can't help but look at, at where these things appear in Scripture. First time this appears, these two words together appear in Exodus 6. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, sorry. Deuteronomy 6, the words good and right appear together. Remember Deuteronomy 6 is where Jesus quotes from all the time especially when he's dealing with temptations. He's writing Deuteronomy 6 to 8 seem to be some of Jesus' favorite verses. But, but look at this. What's the good and right way? What's the context that Samuel has in mind? Do what's right and good in the Lord's sight so that it would go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So this is about what's the good and right way that God intends for us as a church to walk in. Why? So that we can take the ground that God intends for us to take. So that we can have the Bentley Street revival that you've all been longing for for so long. But we can't have it unless we're walking the good and right way. And that means reflecting on what God's done in our life. It means serving him wholeheartedly. It means searching our hearts to get rid of the things that get in the way of him being able to pour out his power through us. And then it means learning this good and right way that he wants us to walk in together. I love this... Um, some people hate this quote. There's a quote that's wrongly attributed, or I don't know if wrongly is the right word. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, there is no evidence that it was his, but it's this, this saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Um, and some people hate this because they're like, no, we're supposed to preach the gospel with our words. Um, but it's both. And and so when it comes to teaching the good and right way, that's, it's not my job, it's not your job to just stand and give factual information to people in the hopes that they're going to come to know Jesus. It's about word and action. And we know that actions speak louder than words. 
And so this is not about us gathering together in a room with a Bible and prayer and, and learning all the right things that we need to know. This is about our lives, our actions lived in front of one another and lived in the world in such a way that they see that there is a good and right way to live. Um, and, and I love this, this statement because it's, it's with our actions we should be preaching the gospel. And I think there's huge scriptural precedent that you're supposed to live such good lives among men that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's in Peter. Um, and, and so we're supposed to live good lives before people. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, doing it with gentleness. And so people are supposed to see your good works, and then they're supposed to be stirred to ask about our hope, and then we use words because it becomes necessary. Um, one of the difficulties with Western evangelicalism is we've moved as a culture from a season where truth and statements were really important and foundational to our culture. And we've moved into a season where people are hungry to see the right kind of living. And what happens as a church is we continue to walk forward preaching what is right. And usually what that looks like in Western evangelicalism is don't do this, don't do that, that's sinful, that's wrong. And actually, when I sit with my friends who don't walk with Jesus, or, or I meet someone that doesn't walk with Jesus, as soon as I say I'm a Christian— they already know all of those things that Christians supposedly believe. Um, I don't need to tell them. <laughs> um, so my job is to live before them the life of Christ so that they get curious about who he is, and it provides an opportunity for me to then teach them and speak the gospel as it's been lived in my life, as it's been lived in our community, and then hopefully through that process, lead them into a saving relationship with him. So, so the job of a leader to teach the good and right way, and all through scripture, it's, it's the requirement for eldership, um, the ability to teach, um, and to teach this not just with words, but with actions. This leads us to where Samuel began, and, and what for Samuel is most important, and I would argue what for me is most important is number one, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. So Samuel knows that the ability to teach the good and right way is prefaced uh, in a life of prayer. Um, and this, this verse is fascinating to me because it's the only place in Scripture where a lack of prayer is equated with sin. There are lots of commands in Scripture to pray continually, to pray all times, pray without ceasing, present all your, prayer, your, your, your petitions to the Lord, they're, they're, uh, pray continuously, be devoted to prayer. We've got those commands, but this is the only time where failure to pray is labeled a sin. Um, and I think it's interesting that as a leader, a failure to pray is seen as sin in the eyes of the Lord. Um, so if you're here and you consider yourself a leader in this church, a failure to pray for this church in the eyes of the Lord is sin. Now, again, I like my words. So most of you know that when it comes to the word sin, Old Testament, usually the word that they use for sin means to miss the mark. And it's an archery term where you're firing the arrow and you're trying to hit the bullseye, but you're missing your mark. So in this instance, failing to pray is about missing the mark. The word to teach, the good and right way, the word teach has, has two kind of realms of meaning behind it. One is the way that water flows. The other one is to shoot an arrow and hit your target. 
So in here, he's taken these two words. Don't miss the mark by failing to pray and make sure you hit the target by teaching the good and right way. And he's putting these two things together as he's commanding what it needs to look like. So I feel the responsibility as a leader, and I mean, through the candidacy, through, I, I'm, I'm hoping you've got this from me already. Prayer really matters to me. It's a huge conviction, and it's my commitment to not sin against the Lord by failing to pray. Or it's my conviction and commitment to, yeah, was that right? To not sin against, to, I won't sin against the Lord by failing to pray. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and this is what we need to be as, as a church community. You know, if God calls you to a ministry, you could say if he calls you to lead a ministry, but if God calls you to a ministry, then you're called to pray for that ministry. You're called when he gives you the ministry of being part of a family, you're called to pray for that family. If he calls you into a church body, you're called to pray for that body. We are given this tremendous responsibility and this tremendous privilege as Christians that with our words, we have the ability to call the power of heaven to bear on the earth. We have the ability with our words to move the hand of God. And he gives us that privilege. He puts the spirit in us and gives us the privilege that every situation that we walk into, we carry the presence of God into the room. In your family, you bear the Spirit of God to the people around about you, and you have the ability to change the atmosphere in your family. You have the ability to change and transform the brokenness in your family. We have the ability to change what goes on in our church through prayer. We have the ability to impact what God is doing in this community through prayer. Um, And the, the weird thing is, prayer is the simplest thing because you don't even need words. It's just turning your attention to God and prayer begins. Um, that's all we have to do, and yet we live our lives with our eyes not fixed on him, and we go through our motions forgetting that we are in this partnership with him, and then we wonder why God's not moving around about us, because he wants to partner with us in this process. And so this new season for our church is going to be about learning what it means to have our eyes fixed on him, what it means to call his power to bear in this room, and then out into the world around us. Um, So if you're here you're called to this church, you're called to pray for this church. If you're here and you see yourself as a leader in this community, then you're called to pray for this community. And wherever God has placed you, whatever city, whatever street, God has placed you there to be an agent of transformation in that area, and it begins with prayer. Um, Martin Luther King has this fantastic saying. Um, he's just such, a, such an amazing man, and what he did, we're so indebted to his work. But he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So, so I would say, I would go as far as to say, you should look at your life and evaluate your prayer life. What is your prayer relationship with God? Because that is the primary barometer of your spiritual growth and maturity. It's not how much scripture you know. It's not how many scriptures you can quote. It's not how many leadership positions you've had in the church. But it's the depth of your prayer life is the mark of your maturity. Because this is all about a relationship with him, growing in deeper intimacy with him, learning to hear from him, and learning to act on that in the world round about us. So, We've entered a new season as a church. 
It started last week, I guess. It starts today. I don't know when it officially started, the day I signed the paperwork. I don't know. But we are in a new season. Amen. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) We're in a new season. God has amazing things that he wants to do in you and through you. But here's his words, and here's my words. As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great works that he has done for you. We're about to sing our final song, but here's what I'd like to do before that. Um, It may mean some people need to move around a little bit. I don't know. I want us just to take a few moments at our tables. You can't talk about this and then just let everyone walk out the door. I want us to take a few moments at our table to pray. Uh, and, And what I want you to pray, I want you to take a moment and rehearse the great things that God has done. So just at your table, what has God done in your life? And thank him for it. What have you seen God do in this church? And thank him for it. And maybe you can even throw in there some of the hopes that you have for what's coming. But let's take maybe five minutes at our tables um, and let's just praise God and rehearse the great things that he's done. Uh, And then we'll finish in worship.